everybody, welcome to the February 12, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the major sports event that everyone's been talking about. That, of course, being the Denver Nuggets win over the Detroit Pistons. Patty, no, I'm just teasing. Let's get a quick take <laughs> on the uh, big parade and the big Denver Broncos win on uh, the parade on Tuesday following the World Championship win. The downtown Denver event and held an estimated 1 million people to the Civic Center where it was held. Patty, uh, it, we finally won. And being the Sally Field of Cities, which I think is one of your best nicknames of Denver, is this has to be just a crowning moment for us here in Denver. Well, not only do we now know the rest of the world likes us, they really like us, but we like ourselves. <laughs> we're smart enough. We're winning enough. It was actually a great day in Denver. Things went off very well. Mm -hmm. um, someone needed to sack both Michael Hancock and John Hickenlooper when they kept talking, when everyone wanted to hear the Broncos. But it was just a great day to celebrate. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. It's easy to be cynical about professional sports. When you see a million people come up for something like this, something, it has to do something for the vibe of the whole, whole city, don't you think? A, a very good, positive thing that everybody came together on. And I'd say the, other than Mayor Hancock's speech, the Denver city government really did perform very well at all the management stuff, including the, the, the police issues. And the crowd was also well-behaved. The crowd would have been even larger, as you can read in, in today's Denver Post letters section, had not RTD been, once again, the, the reason you need to drive. Uh, they apparently had no idea that there would be larger numbers of people than usual <laughs> coming into downtown. And they, they seem to always get baffled by this, like after the Parade of Lights. They have no idea that there will be larger need for service leaving downtown. Fourth of July, you know, after the fireworks. They, 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 who knew? Somebody ought to buy them a subscription to the Denver Post so they can know about major events that are coming up. It would be nice to get them a memo once in a while. I think that's a great idea. Uh, Penfield Tate, uh, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, what kind of promotional juice does a win like this do for Denver? Oh, it's huge. Uh, you know, first of all, I agree with Patty. The, the feel-good vibe in the city is going to continue for a while. The only thing that rivals it uh, or comes close is the Parade of Lights, and that's every year. But this comes once every 10 or 15 years, so it's sort of at a different level. But when you look on just about any TV show, you've got this player or that player hanging out with Conan O'Brien or the Late Late Show host or showing up on, you know, other talk shows. It has a ripple effect that's just difficult to calculate. Um, and I suspect we may be hearing an announcement shortly from one of the players about future intentions that will probably continue the Denver role um, in the press. So uh, it's all good news for Denver right now. Natasha Gardner, senior editor of 5280 Magazine. It, I think in addition to just winning the championship, it seems that I think a lot of people enjoyed being a part of a lot of great uh, Story, a great ending to the story. You have uh, Peyton Manning, you have John Elway, you have Pat Bowen, who we, or we had a report that you know, he was in his lucid moments, can still recognize that they've won the Super Bowl. It's just great new thing to a lot of Denver Bronco fans. Uh, what, do you, what do you think this does for the city? Well, I think it's that. It's a connectivity that a major event like this has. You know, everyone has their own stories in connection to, oh, this is what I was doing during possibly Peyton's last throw. Um, you know, maybe not, but we'll find out very soon. You know, like personally for myself, 
I mean, I have MS. My symptoms get worse when I'm stressed out. So by the second half, my arm's going numb, and I'm saying to myself, I either have to, like, stop watching or they have to win. Now, fortunately, they won. And, and, and I think everyone in Denver kind of has those little moments that they pull together. Um, in addition to the number of kids that got pulled out of DPS to go to the parade, I will say I'm, I'm not condemning parents either way. If you decide to keep your kids in school, that's great. Good decision for your family. If you took them out, great. Good decision for your family. The challenge I would make is a, why don't we make this an annual thing? If you can find time to skip work and take your kids out of school to have a, a really important moment for them, find another way to do that next year, perhaps on the same day to celebrate the Broncos win. Then the story keeps rolling. That's a good idea. I like that. I imagine you're going to get a lot of fan mail from kids across the, the city right now saying <laughs> Natasha's a genius. I can see it right now. The New Hampshire primary was held on Tuesday with results halting the presidential runs for Republican candidates Carly Fiorina and Governor Chris Christie. Donald Trump won 35% of the vote with Ohio Governor John Kasich surprising most with a second place finish. Shocking no one, Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders defeated Hillary Clinton with 60% of the vote. Uh, Patty, the the the, uh, the pollsters had New Hampshire right. We kind of knew this almost a, a week ahead of time of the way they thought it was going to go. I didn't know that we would have both uh, Christie and Fiorina out by now. But as the the dust has settled from New Hampshire, what's your takeaway? Well, my takeaway is I hope we don't remember what our predictions were last week. <laughs> but I was talking to Penn on our way in. Never have I been glued so much to the television because this is fascinating. It is. Um, it is great to see the political pundits, including those at this table, the pollsters, and the parties shaken up so much by what's going on in the Republican Party with Trump, what's going on in the Democratic Party with Bernie. People are paying attention to politics who have never paid attention before. So that's all to the good. It's just kind of hard to see who are going to be the ultimate candidates at this point. Trump, I just heard, is going to watch his language for the rest of the campaign, as we will all be doing for the rest of his campaign. Now that he's in the Bible, Bible belt, he's going to behave. Uh, Hillary, I think, is going to try to develop a personality for the rest of the campaign. I mean, when you see them strategizing to either stay in the lead or to try desperately to win a state, uh, it's just incredible to really think we could not have predicted where we're going with this. And we're going to have all the action here this weekend because Bernie and Hillary are both here for the Jefferson Jackson Day dinner on Saturday. Mm -hmm. David, Patty alludes to the fact that we'll see both uh, Clinton and Sanders here in Colorado, and we're already starting to see some ads. I, I frankly, they're pretty impressive ads from Bernie Sanders' campaign. Even though he was, uh, people thought he was going to win New Hampshire, he's from New England, people thought that they was going to slam it for a long time for him. Can he turn this momentum into uh, a more sustainable effort? Yeah, because un unlike, say, John Kasich, he doesn't have sort of just momentum. You know, I think Kasich said he raised half a million dollars after his strong finish in New, Ham in New Hampshire. Bernie raised something like $8 million. So he's got a, a donor base which will be able to carry him all the way through. Uh, kind of ironic that after he worked so hard and was much more successful uh, than Mrs. Clinton was in convincing voters that he was the right person, they both end up with the same number of delegates, but maybe he knows a little bit what it feels like to work harder than other people succeed, and then you have redistribution, which brings you down to the <laughs> equality of someone who's not as good. Um, personally, I'm not that impressed with either. The, the candidate who came in fourth in New Hampshire was Vermin Supreme. I don't know much about him, but uh, as a Democrat, I'd, I'm going to be looking for alternatives. I want to see what his platform is. On the Republican side, my prediction that Kasich could do well came true. Nobody predicted that the Saturday Night Republican debate would be a murder-suicide featuring Chris Christie and Marco Rubio. 
That uh, I believe was one of the more shocking uh, developments. It, it, anytime anyone gets like the the spotlight for the first time, like Marco Rubio did after his uh, performance in Iowa, it may be a little bit of a trip. But that I think you put a, a very good point on that with the murder suicide with uh, with uh, uh, Christie and Rubio. Ben, uh, as you look at both Sanders and Clinton coming to town here in Colorado, and while. Our vote will be official. Our caucus will officially be part of Super Tuesday on March 1st. Do you think either candidate has a distinct edge in Colorado, or is it a toss-up? You know, I, I think it's difficult to say, and it goes back to the point Patty made that I've been watching this cycle. Except for the first time when Obama ran, I think what's very different this time around is you have millennials who are really getting engaged, paying attention, and they're not apt to, to sort of signal and let you know in advance where they're headed. And so I don't think, I think Clinton in this state probably has the organizational edge, but I'm seeing more and more stuff from the, the, the Sanders people. Uh, which surprised me because I didn't think he was very well known in Colorado, but he's beginning to, to pick up some steam. And, and you know, David's commentary notwithstanding, I, I think some of Sanders' um, rhetoric resonates with millennials, who as a generation are the most heavily indebted of any generation um, that preceded them. And they have the, the, the added distinction of watching their parents and grandparents be economically dislocated because of the recession we've been through. So these are folks who are, are questioning the status quo in a number of different ways. Having said all of that, I still think the major shakeup is going to be on the Republican side. Um, I, I thought for a while that, that Trump's path to victory was outlast everybody, be around long enough, and the field would winnow out, and he'd be the last person standing. I'm not convinced that that's the case anymore. I think what's happening is, particularly with Fiorina and Christie dropping out, the supporters there are more likely to gravitate to someone like Kasich than they will to Trump. So I actually think we may see his, le his lead tighten or actually erode over time because I think as more candidates drop out, there's going to be, I think, particularly from the Republican establishment, a desire to coalesce around someone other than Trump. And Kasich may be the lucky guy right now because Rubio's imploding, Cruz is perceived as Trump light, and Jeb seems to be walking around confused for a lot of the time. <laughs> so I, I, Kasich may be the beneficiary of this. It'll be interesting to see, though. Natasha, I, I want to pick up on what uh, Pam was just talking about with the Republicans. We're, we've gone from a clown car to officially maybe a minivan, I guess mm -hmm. is a more appropriate uh, metaphor here. Are we going to see these six candidates for a while? Do you think there's going to be some more winnowing? And can Kasich turn what I think is what a lot of people would think is a big surprise win in New Hampshire into some more momentum, especially for like Super Tuesday? I think you'll see a lot more momentum as we've narrowed those down. I think some of those voters are going to go. I think surprisingly, a large number of those voters are going to go with him. Um, but what the problem is is because it's taken so long to narrow these down. Even when you're watching that that debate last last weekend, you're not getting a real sense of where they stand. Versus last night when you were watching Bernie and Hillary, and you're really getting a sense of where these candidates stand on an issue. The GOP is still kind of a mess. It's you know kind of introduce them get their main points out, blah, 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 and we don't get any deeper than that. So because they've spent so much time in this larger group, uh, I don't think the voters have had a chance to really assess who they are, and they're going to have to fast track that. And I think in the next two weeks in particular, we should start seeing really strong points, talking points from each of those candidates if they want to bring over some of those swing voters. If not, they're going to just remain.
Spain, that clown car smashed into the minivan, <laughs> and they're not going to have a, a good impact on the national race. Colorado congressional representatives made a splash in Washington this week by being among the co-sponsors of a bill to end the military draft. Republican Mike Kaufman and Democrat Jared Polis were among the four representatives who presented the bill Thursday. The bill comes on the heels of another proposal to include women in the draft, which was introduced last week. David, where do you stand? Do we stick with the status quo? Do we expand the draft to include women, or do we eliminate the draft altogether? I think Representatives Kaufman and uh, Polis are showing a great example of Colorado bipartisanship and leadership. And when you get a pair like that as lead sponsors on a bill, that tells you it's probably a bill that's good for national security and a bill that's good for civil liberties. Of course, we don't have military an active draft going on, but we've had draft registration ever since 1980 when Jimmy Carter, who in retrospect was a notably weak president on foreign policy, was trying to bolster his toughness and introduced draft registration. As Representative Kaufman would tell you, the military overwhelmingly thinks they would prefer an all-volunteer force of people who want to be there rather than the much lower quality of draftees. If there ever were in the future some kind of national emergency, such as when World War II was going on and, and Congress voted to create conscription back in 1940, that should be a vote of the people in Congress at the time when the emergency is going on, and it shouldn't be something that just the president can decide unilaterally. We are way too far towards a Caesarist, Peronist uh, system of government already, and something as profound as that ought to be decided by the legislature. Uh, Penn, if anyone can follow uh, a, uh, a Latin reference there, a Roman reference uh, from David, I know you can. But are you surprised by seeing Polis and Kaufman come together in something like this? Well, first of all, I'm not going to go where David went. I have my own take on this. Uh, but, um, no, I'm not. Uh, you know, the draft has been highly unpopular for decades, for generations. Um, and, uh, you know, I, notwithstanding the reference to Carter, I don't know when the draft began, but when I was a high school kid coming up and Nixon was president, I remember going to the post office and having to get registered and having to carry the card with you everywhere you went. And then you sat around nervously one night watching ping pong balls in a machine to see what number you drew. And I'm sure there were mothers all over the country crying, um, depending on the outcome of that. Uh, it, the reality is, is we probably have, we needed to be at an all-volunteer force for years. Um, David's right, though. The military has always preferred uh, to have an all-volunteer army because they'd rather have the people who want to be there. Uh, now, the difficulty they've had historically, and, you know, my background is different. I grew up a military brat because my dad spent 17 years in the service before we came to Colorado. Um, a lot of people who want to be in the military aren't necessarily equipped are qualified to be in the military. So you have that winnowing you have to work through. But I, I applaud Kaufman and Polis for doing this. It's the right thing to do. The country needed to get that angst off the table and, and let people focus on some other things. And at this point, I think we have a bunch of young people who really will be honored and, and want to serve their country and ought to have the ability to do that, men and women. Natasha, does Kaufman get some pretty serious bipartisan points for this in an election year? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a really smart um, political and campaigning move. But most importantly, it's just the right thing to do. Um, what I think is most impressive is, is a very simple thing that we sometimes forget to do, which is when uh, something changes, in this case, women being allowed into combat roles. Okay, so maybe we should change the draft. But also taking it a step further and saying, 
do we even need this at all? We don't often ask that question. And in this case, they asked it and they came up with an answer that I think makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I would add to this sort of contemplative moment as we're sort of evaluating the process. As Penn mentioned, you know, I remember when my brother went to sign up. I remember when my husband went to sign up because we've been dating that long. And it, it was a big moment and it, it created a lot of conversations about our country and why this was happening. And if we could find some way to better um, invest young Americans into the country that they are a part of and whether that's when they register to vote or some other um, service that they could provide to their country this is a moment for us to also say if we don't have this are there other moments that we could get young people engaged in the country that they've become a part of and that they will eventually be leading so it, I would hope that we can have some conversations about that as well. Patty what are your hopes that this bill actually becomes law out in Congress? Well, I definitely hope the bill becomes law because, as everyone said, it makes the most sense for the military. This is what they want. It seems to be working. And to see Kaufman and Polis pull together on this is great, on a very smart bill that's championed by Coloradans. If we were going to continue the draft, what we have to remember is how incredibly unfair it was with the deferments and how you could game the system. That would have to be fixed. And indeed, if the draft continued, there's no reason women shouldn't be involved in one way, which would also mean you would have to figure out national service or other alternatives. But I think the better thing right now is go to the all-volunteer army and end the draft. Several violations of a probation sentence may land tax activist Douglas Bruce in jail amidst a potential campaign to alter the taxpayer's Bill of Rights, a law he helped to write. Bruce claims he is innocent, that he's a political prisoner, but a Denver District Court judge has ruled that he violated five different conditions of his probation. Penn, uh, Douglas Bruce is not the only face of Tabor. Uh, it's been on the books for a long time, but uh, he's a significant face of, of the issue and with a pretty big campaign, theoretically, at least potentially coming in 2016. Is this situation a big deal? Um, it's a big deal only because Douglas Bruce is a criminal, not a political prisoner. Um, you know, if you talk to many people involved in the early days of Tabor and folks who actually sponsored and promoted efforts prior to Tabor, remember it was on the ballot several times and failed before it was approved, many of them will tell you that Douglas Bruce was sort of uh, a bit player and wasn't the, the lead person here, but when the cameras were rolling, he jumped front and center and, you know, took the spotlight. Uh, and at this point, I think he's become so antagonistic, and he has become an issue in and of himself. Any campaign against any sort of modification of Tabor, um, a lot of the opponents probably wouldn't want him too close to it e anyway. He's just a negative lightning rod at this place. And at this point, and he may run around and kick a few more reporters or cameramen, too. So... Natasha, if you're running the campaign, again, if there's going to be one that's going to um, do something to de-Bruce a big chunk of Tabor uh, this fall, do you bring this up? Do you let it be? Well, if I'm running it in favor, yes, you say de-Bruce as much as you right. can. <laughs> and if you're against it, you, you do everything you can to distance yourself from his personal history. And and that's where it's a bit unfair. It's, it's, it's a distraction from the bigger question of Tabor and what it means. You know, I... Tabor is not something that's a lot of fun to talk about. It's not particularly um, easy to understand, but it's become something I find myself talking about with people on, my, on an almost weekly basis. It's the type of thing that you're in a casual conversation and people
people say, well, you're a reporter, explain it to me. And then suddenly you have to interpret what is a fairly complicated thing. But the, the, what's interesting to me is that that's, it's become part of a, an everyday conversation. And people do have questions. It feels like we should have more money in our bank account than we do right now. And then some people argue that it's too slow to respond to the current economic. Well, how could we have planned this economic uplift that we've had? So this, these questions um, are important. It's important for the voters to understand them. It's important for them to understand it's also been around for more than two decades. It's important for them to most, perhaps most importantly, understand that there's every year there seems to be a discussion about this and, and workarounds people looking at ways to work around, which is something that's happening right now in the Capitol and in the legislature. And that question of the hospital fee is so complicated and it, it, it gets muddled up with this question of probation. It's truly unfair to the, to the Colorado voters to not get a better reporting on that and to instead focus on just a probation um, offense. Patty, if there is going to be a big taper fight this year on the ballot or even in the legislature, uh, who do you think should be or will rise to become the, the face of defending it? Oh, let's see. Maybe someone, a colleague of the person sitting next to me. I mean, John <laughs> Caldera can make so much noise that he can make it very easy to forget that Doug Bruce was ever, ever the father of the Tabor Amendment or the incarnation that passed in 92. Uh, I think everyone in Colorado could agree at this point that if you just consider the term debrucing and don't think about Tabor, I think the entire state could debruce. They'd be happy not to be talking about Doug Bruce anymore. But I don't think talking about Doug Bruce really helps the anti, you know, the detabering of Colorado. People have separated that issue and the issue of taxes and being able to vote on more taxes. They've separated that from Doug Bruce. So. That group, in order to keep it and fight for to keep Tabor as it is, yeah, there's going to have to be a new spokesperson. But I don't think people are going to be looking to have Doug Bruce say anything sensible about anything. David, wrap it up for us. Has Tabor moved beyond one of its authors? Well, when people vote on a ballot measure to increase taxes or increase government spending, that's not against the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. That's exactly what the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights is for. It's that the people get to choose. And if they want to choose that, that, that that's fine. The, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights is not to crush all government spending. It's just to, to give the people the final say on that. Doug Bruce, is, with his contentious personality, has been having run-ins with the law for 20 years. My dad, who opposed just about everything Doug Bruce stood for, Doug Bruce stood for, wrote in the 90s that there was an element of political persecution to the cases against him. Miller Hudson, like my dad, a former Democratic state representative, wrote the same thing in the Colorado Statesman not too long ago about the current case. I don't know. Well, it is finally time for our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Patty, please start us off. Well, I'm going to return to your very first question about the nuggets. <laughs> if Stan Kroenke can buy the biggest ranch in the country, he can certainly maybe buy a slightly winning team. That would be nice to not just have the Detroit win as things we talk about. You're absolutely right. David. The Democrats are not going to have their annual Jefferson Jackson dinner anymore. They now, it's now just called their 83rd annual dinner because apparently the central committee that runs the party has gone so far to the left it has to abandon the 200-year tradition of the party and they can't even think of a more recent president whose name they'd want to put on the dinner so I've got a suggestion here's a guy who stood strongly against what Jefferson and Jackson were for make it the King George the third dinner 
<laughs> I, I can't imagine it's going to be adopted anytime soon, but at least it's an idea. You're, you're, you're being uh, supportive. You're, you're, you're pro uh, proactive, I guess yeah. is the word there. Uh, Penn. I, I'd go with Patty's because I also think he's buying a stadium in L.A., isn't he? Mm -hmm. So, um, But um, I'm just astounded how the, the sheriff's department, I think it was when Jeffco, could release the wrong Ron Chavez. Um, but at least the person they released had enough sense to go to dinner and go home and wait to be rearrested again and save them further embarrassment. It's, uh, it was nice of him to just, you know, knowing that the, his uh, um, stay outside was not going to be that long. Yeah. But, you know, use it the right way. Go to a restaurant. Natasha. Uh, the other news on Tuesday was the University of Colorado released a report on sexual misconduct on campus. Um, a lot of interesting information, including that 28% of undergraduate women are victims of sexual misconduct. In context, that's not too different than what we're seeing in other universities. I applaud the university for trying to do something. But at some point, we have to look at this as a cultural shift. This is not a crisis. It's not a, something that has suddenly come up on it. We're talking one in four women, more than one in four women in college are going through this, we need to do something about it. Time for the hardest part of the show, usually, say something nice about somebody. Patty? The Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood facility that was the site of that horrific shooting will be reopening next week, so good for Planned Parenthood for continuing to push. David? Today, people all over the country are wearing blue to show their support for law enforcement. There are some bad people in law enforcement, there are bad public school teachers, there are bad people in every walk of life, but the vast majority of people in law enforcement are really good people who conscientiously serve and protect. Especially with that uh, tragic news, uh, I guess that was uh, Mesa County. Yes. Uh, so there's, uh, it's good to know that there's some support, again, for the, the good apples out there. Penn. The federal government. <laughs> HUD has recently announced that they're going to appropriate and provide $10.5 million to Colorado to improve, renovate, and repair the public housing stock in this state. And given uh, the need for affordable housing, that's truly remarkable and well overdue. And congratulations to the regional director, Rick Garcia, for getting that done. Natasha. I'll return to the University of Colorado, which is going to allow concerts at Folsom Field again after a few, so I think 2001 was the last concert there. So. I think some of the best concert moments in Colorado have happened at Folsom Field. Yes. I mean, between, <laughs> I mean, people talk about the Who and Bob Zier's from the Southern, that's it's nice to see it back. It's good. Well, that is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out tonight. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday night for a special presentation of documentaries about the civil rights movement. You're not going to want to miss this. First of all, at 7 o'clock, there is a special documentary about how the Martin Luther King uh, uh, monument in uh, memorial rather in Washington D.C. was built, and there's some amazing interviews that go along with that. At eight o'clock, we have a special documentary about the untold stories of the civil rights movement. I think there's a lot of stories out there folks may know as just kind of uh, that they've always learned about in school or otherwise. But there's some really great untold stories. And finally, at nine o'clock, a special about Thurgood Marshall. It's called the Mr. Civil Rights. It's a great production. I think uh, brings out a lot of unknown facts about the man who really made a significant difference, not only in the civil rights movement, but really in law in the United States. You won't want to miss it again this Wednesday night. And as always, remember to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes and our web-exclusive segments on Twitter. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.